This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, June 27th, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us for the Tuesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. The latest look at home prices finds them on the rise. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, though, the Bears Stadium saga continues to add new chapters. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is is Danny Ecker, a reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. And Danny, first it was hearing from all these cities looking to toss their hat into the ring. And now we're hearing from Bears management that uh, things maybe aren't going too smoothly. Yeah, you know, it's I think more of the same of what we've heard in the last few weeks, to be honest. Uh, this is Kevin Warren, the CEO of the Bears, who was at an event uh, last night saying that they're at a stalemate with Arlington Heights. And it's effectively there's they've they've are trying to get this conversation going with uh, the group of taxing districts, uh, mostly the schools in Arlington Heights, to get on the same page about whether they uh, have some common ground on the future of property taxes and property assessments, more specifically, uh, at um, at their the, at the Churchill Downs uh, sold site uh, at the Arlington Arlington Park site. So that's really what is sort of the big obstacle right now. And uh, while that's happening, the Bears obviously have been public about their uh, exploration or discussion with other cities, including Naperville. And they've seen a, a reach out from Waukegan. Uh, hard to tell whether that's just posturing for the Bears because they have a lot of time to work with here. But uh, at this point, I think the Bears are just hoping to you know, start a conversation, get a conversation really going again uh, with uh, Arlington Heights officials. Now, you mentioned that the Bears have a lot of time, and I, I did want to ask, is there a timeline for sort of finalizing this decision? How long is this uncertainty going to drag out? Well, we could be in it for years. I mean, you know, you have to remember that the Bears have time on their side here with a, a lease at Soldier Field that, uh, you know, runs for another nine years or so. And uh, it's. I think the Bears obviously have a lot of work ahead of them if they get to a point where they are going to develop this new stadium in the suburbs or a suburb. And uh, I, I think that um, for now, the Bears are looking to at least say, hey, this is what this needs to be, a public-private partnership, and we need to have these conversations. I mean, for the short term, they're trying to knock down all the, uh, you know, the actual uh, buildings that are on the Arlington Park property that will hopefully reduce the property taxes in the short term. But coming up with a longer term solution, which includes uh, uh, actually the, the state legislator making a move to uh, to help, um, is something that they are hoping to probably accomplish over the next year or two. And hopefully that gets them to a point where they uh, can you know, really have this conversation, get on the same page with Arlington Heights to move forward the property that they now own. Well, that was just it. Is an argument can be made that the Bears are on the hook. What was it? It's all, nearly $200 million that they've now sunk into this property. They own the Arlington 
Heights Park racetrack. And so even if they are exploring other options, then there's the question of, well, what do you do with this property? Right. And, you know, there are obviously a lot of things that can be done with a property like that. If the Bears were to sell it to someone else, I'm sure there are uh, industrial developers and others that would pay uh, some pretty good prices for it. So it's not like, oh, my gosh, they're tied to this and, and they can't do anything with it. But um, it is a significant commitment to, you know, have the carrying costs of, the, of this land. It's, it's just a prime opportunity for them when you think about how accessible that site is, both from public transportation and from highway uh, and, you know, the, the size of the site and what they could do there. It's hard to find another site anywhere in the Chicago area that has as much going for it as that one um, in, in terms of the size of what the Bears are looking to do. And I think that's something that, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, this is probably the best site they're going to find in the suburbs, but other sites that might not be as good, do they look a little better if, you know, they can't come to terms if, uh, with Arlington with Heights officials on, on the, the value of uh, the Arlington Park site? Thanks so much, Danny Ecker, reporter for Crane's Chicago Business. Coming up, home prices seem to be recovering after a slump that began a year ago. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The report on April homes prices leads today's data. Let's break it down along with the latest measure of consumer confidence with Diane Swank, chief economist at KPMG here in Chicago. And uh, Diane, across the country, it would seem that home prices uh, are recovering. They certainly are. And what we're seeing is just an incredible shortage of supply out there is pushing up prices and making it very difficult for first-time buyers to buy. Builders have attempted to make it easier for some first-time buyers to buy by even doing mortgage buy-downs. That's where they actually lower their mortgage rates for them and take it on the margin. That is important. But what's a little bit worrisome from the Federal Reserve's perspective is this is an area where the housing market has been in a recession for over a year. It now looks like it's emerging out of that recession. And the problem is if we see a renewed increase in home values that's sustained, it means that we could get another leg of inflation in 2024. And that's something the Fed does not want to see at this stage of the game, given how high shelter costs already are and how unaffordable housing has become. Yeah, just look at Chicago. I mean, it's still seeing big gains in April with prices up just over 4%. And and you mentioned, too, that what doesn't help, it's just sort of this tug of war between uh, prices, but then also just you're not getting a lot of sellers. And it's because a lot of these sellers, well, hey, I, I bought my house with a 3% something mortgage. Why would I Why would I jump in when rates are currently what are hovering around 6%, I think? Actually, almost seven. And the real issue is that, you know, it's called a mortgage winter because everything's frozen. And we've got over 90% of mortgages that are still outstanding fixed under 5%, over 80% fixed under 4 And then you throw on top of that about 42% of all people have already paid off their homes. And they're hedged against the higher cost of shelter and not willing to sell because they can't afford to literally trade. And I think that's important to keep in mind is that's really constrained supply. It has opened the door to new construction and new construction is picking up and we need that new construction out there. But this is really hard because it's still extremely unaffordable. And you're talking about all the supply coming from new construction because there still is really that mortgage winter where no existing um, supply is coming online. We're down at record lows on existing 
existing home supply. And sort of shifting gears from the woes of the housing market to just a broader look at consumer confidence, because that's reached its highest level since early last year. Yes, and it had a huge increase among 35-year-olds and below those earning over $35,000 a year. The millennials waiting to buy those homes out there with a big boost in their confidence. And the confidence was um, related to confidence in the labor market. So it means we're still not seeing that cooling that was out there that was hoped to be out there in the labor market. It still is going on despite announcements of large-scale layoffs. And I think that's important in understanding small firms in particular, continue to report, even though many of their indicators are at recession levels, they still have positions they have been unable to fill. And so you've got this weird dichotomy where consumer confidence is picking back up, the economy may be accelerating again, yet consumers' expectations about the future, uh, they still expect a recession down the road. And so, you know, for the Fed, it's, are we really going to see a slowdown or is the economy going to accelerate again? And again, that's another issue and another reason why the Fed has not had it skipped the month of June, although it won't call it a skip, um, but it's spaced out its rate hikes. It's not done yet. Thanks so much, Diane Swank, chief economist at KPMG here in Chicago. Up next, law enforcement taking aim at organized retail. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A bipartisan bill that takes effect today looks to fight organized retail theft. Let's discuss the impact with Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide in New York. And Jan, I'm hoping you can help us understand what problem this exactly is trying to address. Well, there's a big problem. There's, there's two big problems. The really big problem is people are going in stores and stealing goods at a higher rate, both from the store and off the dock than they ever have in the history of retailing. The second problem is it is now easier to fence, as we used to call it, the goods, because now you can turn around and sell them on a third party platform. And so this this everybody in the world. And so this Information Act, this piece of legislation, I'm, it sounds to me like it's trying to address at least the latter half of that in holding some of these e-commerce online marketplaces a little bit more responsible for making sure that these goods are coming from, uh, you know, verified sellers. Yes. If I were a pawn shop and people were bringing in stolen goods to me and I was selling it back to the public, I would go to prison. But for a long time now, goods stolen in retail stores have been showing up in online marketplaces and being sold legally to other buyers. And no one has been responsible for the fact that the goods are being, there are stolen goods that are being stolen, that are being sold. So this law is attempting to say, you've got a responsibility to verify that the things being sold on your site haven't been stolen from somebody else. And that's, going to be really hard to do. It's going to be difficult legislation to to make work, but we have to start someplace. 
and there's only two ends of the chain to start on. One is stopping the people fencing the goods, either intentionally or unintentionally, and stopping the people actually stealing it out of the stores. And right now we're doing a terrible job of trying to stop people from stealing out of the stores. We've essentially put legislation in place, and we've also put rules in place in most of the stores that if somebody's trying to steal stuff, don't stop them. Mm-hmm. Well, that encourages them to go ahead and steal the stuff. Many, many states now, I think it's 27 states, unless it's $1,000 or more stuff, they're not going to prosecute you for it. So you go in and steal $900 of the stuff today and $900 stuff tomorrow, and you basically have a zero cost of goods sold. When you go to sell your stuff, you make a big profit. It's hard to stop people from doing it when that kind of profit is available. Part of the way to get rid of that product profit is to be able to keep them from selling that product Mm -hmm. on an exchange where they can reach a lot of people. Thanks so much, Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide in New York. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, more older Americans are heading out on trips and sometimes bringing along the grandkids. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Mike Krauser. What happened to me was totally unnecessary. A lawsuit is filed against the city and police by the woman who prosecutors said ordered her son to kill a man who attacked her in a Southside restaurant. The Supreme Court rules on a case involving politically generated redistricting, and in Travel Tuesday, the number of seniors traveling is on the rise, and that trip often includes grandkids. WBBM Business. Markets are trading higher. The Dow up 215 points. NASDAQ up 196. The S&P 500 up 45 points. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues as a Chicago woman who prosecutors said told her 14-year-old son to kill a man who attacked her in a Southside restaurant is now suing the city and the police officers involved. As WBBM's Mike Krauser reports, the action comes after all charges against her and the teen were dropped. Just out of jail after six days, 35-year-old Carlicia Hood made a brief statement at the offices of the Bronzeville Law Group saying she never could have imagined being brutally attacked and then arrested. She took no questions and broke down. Again, I just need a little time to heal and to just get my life back with my baby. Her attorney, Brandon Brown, said the suit alleges malicious prosecution, false arrest, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Ms. Hood and her son, we believe were wrong. Hood and her son turned themselves in three days after the incident, during which Jerome Brown was shot to death by her son. Brown was seen on video punching her in the head. The suit notes he was a convicted felon with multiple arrests for domestic battery. Hood's attorney says he's aware of threats of retaliation. Mike Krauser, 1059 WBBM. The Supreme Court has issued a decision in a case involving elections for Congress and the White House. The justices have rejected an argument that could have left state legislatures virtually unchecked in making federal elections rules. They've upheld a ruling by North Carolina's court that the state's congressional districts map violated state law by being excessively partisan. North Carolina Republicans had asked that the map be kept in place. The ruling was 6-3, though its practical effect is minimal, since North Carolina Supreme Court has already undone its own redistricting ruling under a new GOP majority. Sagar Magani, Washington. 
Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks are trading higher. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist at Ingalls & Snyder in New York. And Tim, I'm glad to have you with us. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Uh, good afternoon, Rachel. Well, it's, uh, it's a good day in the markets. Uh, strength really uh, across the board here, very broad um, participation, which is a healthy sign for the markets, although tech and growth stocks do are leading uh, the way here. Well, and I, I want to talk about this because it, there's so much talk about recession, but but really from a lot of recent data reports, it would seem the economy is on pretty solid footing. It really is, uh, you know, especially the labor market, uh, very strong here. Uh, the consumer is an, in good shape. Uh, even housing prices are beginning to stabilize a bit here after a period of weakness. So, uh, you know, we're not looking for a recession anytime soon. And if you look at futures contracts, uh, the market isn't looking for a near-term recession now either. Uh, so that's a big change. Yeah, yeah. And, and also it's worth noting that, that this, this end of the end of this week marks the end of the second quarter. So is this something that's momentum that we can carry into the second half of 2023? Well, we sure hope so. We saw a very strong first quarter. Now is a very strong second quarter. Uh, we hope that the market keeps going here. We see no reason why it can't. Uh, so we're, we're hoping for a broader market because that is certainly healthier. Right. Well, and you mentioned broader. We, we've had this conversation as well, where, where it seems to be these sort of tech giants that are bearing the brunt of the market on their shoulders. And then uh, when we saw tech pull back, we saw some of the smaller indices sort of play catch up. Um, are there sectors that people should be paying special attention to or, or avoiding as we head into to Q3? Well, I would certainly still focus on technology. Uh, artificial intelligence is real. Uh, there's going to be a lot of chatter about it, not only in upcoming, upcoming uh, earnings announcements, but I'd say uh, over the next year and more. Uh, so I think tech is, is a place where investors need to be here. And then as far as areas to avoid? Uh, you know, the super defensive sectors we're still cautious about. Interest rates aren't going down anytime soon. So utilities and REITs, uh, those are, are more income-oriented sectors and probably not going to participate. And then any advice for just the individual investor in general as we're sort of trying to make way of, of navigating? As you mentioned, we, we maybe aren't going to see a recession tomorrow, but that doesn't mean it's not on the horizon. Sure. Well, I think for individual investors, think long term. Don't try to jump in and out of the market. That's really a tough game. Uh, and you know, if you think long term, over the long term, you're going to have great returns uh, from all financial assets. Uh, but you, you have to be patient. Thanks so much. Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist at Ingalls & Snyder in New York. Up next in Travel Tuesday, grandparents and grandkids getting together for a vacation. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday, and more older Americans are resuming travel, and those trips could include another generation. Let's check in with Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief at SheBuysTravel.com here in Chicago. And Cindy, I think at first it was the consumer travel, then a little bit of business travel, and now we're seeing senior travel bouncing back in a pretty big way. 
Oh, absolutely. I'm actually sitting at an airport right now. I'm in Atlanta waiting for a connecting flight, and I'm looking around, and, and half the people here are pretty seriously gray-haired. So, yes, <laughs> seniors are, are back on the road. And, you know, I, I have some family members who turned 70 this year, and they have so many trips booked that are all like bucket list trips. And And I said to one of them, I said, wow, that's really a big year for you. And she said, you know, we don't know how long we'll be able to do it. So mm-hmm. we're going to make the most of it. Well, that's just it is 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 take advantage of the time of your health. And, and like you said, sort of check off these things from your bucket list. I'm curious, though, of uh, of the gray haired air travelers that you're looking at, any of them traveling with grandkids, because that also seems to be a, a pretty common trend here. That's huge. Um, there, There is actually a multi-gen family that I saw not too long ago when I was um, uh, getting off the plane. But, you know, it's it's the fastest growing segment of air, of travel overall is multi-gen trips. And I think it really was um, exa- exaggerated by the pandemic when we couldn't get together. We want to spend as much time as we can together now. So grandparents are going along on family trips and they're taking their grandkids by themselves for what they call skip gen trips, which are a special time with your grandparents. And I would think that, uh, I mean, I love the idea of that and and sort of growing that relationship between grandparent and grandchild. But I have to think that location might be pretty important, too, to find something that caters to both those generations. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, you gotta, and you've got to start small. You know, I always recommend to people when they ask me about this is don't book um, your grandkid on a two-week um, safari to South Africa on your first trip. You know what? Take them for an overnight um, to some place that they really want to go, to a water park, to, uh, to a museum, to a place where they really want to visit. Ask them where they want to go if they're old enough to tell you that. And and then make the trip really about them and build from there, right? After if you if the overnight does really well, then do a weekend and then maybe do three days and then plan the big trip if you're going to try and do it without the parents. And Cindy, are we seeing the travel industry respond in any way to this older generation taking more trips as far as activities offered or amenities, things like that? it's everywhere. There's a ton of them. I mean, and and so that you can travel as a senior any way that you're most comfortable. If you're just starting this uh, journey to learn to travel, I always recommend trips. There's some really amazing um, tour companies that are focused on seniors, things like road scholars. I mean, they have, they have incredible trips where you're learning as well as traveling and you can, can stay for a while. I mean, that's the big advantage of being a retiree is you're not, uh, you're no longer wedded to the school calendar or the two weeks vacation that you're going to try to get everything crammed into. So you can travel at the more affordable times, what they call the shoulder season during uh, in the travel biz. So that's, you know, when the kids are still in school. So like between Easter and summer break, and then right after the kids go back to school until the holidays start, you can get you can get smaller crowds and great deals. Thanks so much for joining us. Cindy Richards, Editor-in-Chief at SheBuysTravel.com here in Chicago. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, an electric vehicle maker files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
Electric vehicle maker Lordstown Motors filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection this morning. Let's get a closer look with John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv based in Detroit. And uh, John, what can you tell us about this specific automaker and sort of what's led to its demise? Well, it's a long story, but I'll try to compress it as much as I can. Look, Lordstown came up with an idea to build an electric pickup truck. They have a plant in Ohio, in Lordstown, Ohio, that's actually owned by the same manufacturing company that makes most of Apple's equipment. It's called Foxconn. Anyway, Foxconn had, was contracted to build these trucks, and uh, Lordstown has simply just run out of money. It's accusing Foxconn of breaching its contract. Foxconn is accusing Lordstown of letting its stock drop below a dollar a share, and the long and the short of it is Lordstown has run out of money, and that's why it's filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So does this sort of point to a larger movement within the EV space that will see further consolidation here as some of these smaller players, you know, bow out? You know, I think it does, Rachel. I mean, they're all struggling right now with production. Even some of the ones that have got deeper pockets, like uh, Rivian Motors and, and even Lucid Motors, uh, remember, Tesla went through the same thing. It lost money for, for years until it finally turned the corner. And now it's, you know, on a per unit basis, the most profitable car company in the world. But even the legacies like General Motors and Ford and, and Mercedes and others are, are all struggling with these uh, electric cars. Some of it's got to do with raw materials. Some of it's just a learning curve. But the startups don't have ICE vehicles, you know, piston-powered vehicles that they can sell to generate profits. That's one of the advantages that the legacy automakers have right now, Rachel. Right. Well, and you you sort of alluded to a couple of obstacles that the EV industry is facing, and, and some of it comes from consumers, too, that there's sort of this uh, apprehension when it comes to, to distance, right, on a charge. Where I know there's a lot that's trying to be developed there. Um, and then you mentioned some supply issues as well, sort of all playing into this. And if you don't have the capital to back that, then it is a recipe for a potential disaster. It is. And, you know, you mentioned that there's a a lot of uncertainty on the part of consumers, but that's not really what's happening uh, with these companies. Look, there is about 25 percent of the car buying public that would love to have an electric right now. And they would buy one if they could get their hands on it. But in many cases, it's a real struggle to get the the electrics that they want. So the, the real problem that these EV startups face right now is they're running out of cash because they can't build enough vehicles to generate the cash they need to keep their business going. Thanks so much, John McElroy, automotive industry analyst based in Detroit. Of course, you'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.